Hello, welcome back. Come follow me with Fair Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. I am Jennifer Roach. Today we are going to talk about Gnosticism. <laughs> you have no idea what that means, probably. That's okay. I'll tell you. Um, you probably know we are going through the Come Follow Me materials, looking at questions that evangelicals might have about our faith, and maybe some you have about their faith too, as we go along. We are on week 41, 10 more weeks of this. I cannot believe this year has gone so fast. It has been a blast. Um, at FAIR, we do have some fun plans for next year that I'm not ready to tell you about yet. We will get there soon-ish, not too soon, very, very soon. I don't know. I don't know how soon. Fun stuff, good stuff, interesting stuff coming up. I'm excited you will be too. Anyway, we are going to jump right in. This week's verse um, comes from Colossians 2, 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual spiritual force. I don't edit because I don't know how. So that's what you get. I'm sorry. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Okay, normally here, we are not doing, but we're not exegeting a passage. I'm not telling you what a passage means. We're not doing historical work on the, on the text, on the grammar, on the language. We're not doing any of that here. We're doing something entirely different. However, we do need to talk on this passage a little bit about what in the world Paul is doing here, why it matters regarding our conversation about evangelicals. Um, if you don't, if you don't understand what Paul is doing here, it seems really weird. It seems like he's making an argument that doesn't, like it doesn't quite fit together. Why is he saying these things about philosophy? And then he says something about Christ having a body like th those two like they don't automatically maybe go together in your mind what paul is doing here is he's addressing the concept of gnosticism so what is gnosticism why should you care what does it have to do with evangelicals first um gnosticism is a lot of things it's a philosophy that covers a whole scope of beliefs it's not a religion although it gets interwoven into lots of different versions of religion. Um, the Gnostics, it was a lot of leaps. We're going to talk about one, one little tiny part of what Gnostic belief is. The Gnostics believe that it really only matters that you have correct knowledge in your head. Um, thinking correctly, having knowledge, it's not just the most important thing, it's everything to the degree that um the world that exists outside of your own thinking it doesn't even matter the only things that really matter are the things that you can think about wisdom and knowledge things that have to do with your actual physical body have nothing to do with the importance of life they literally do not matter um they certainly don't need to be regulated they're they're something pointless to worry about. That's the that's the Gnostic view. If you're if you're um, contrasting thinking versus acting, thinking wins every single time. If you are a person, 
maybe a little bit like me who loves to live in their head you you like maybe you're like yeah that's so true however there are a lot of problems as this um the, the implications of this concept unfold we will get to them you'll see um if thinking in your head is everything then the things that happen outside of your head are nothing right they can't both be everything if it, if it literally everything that matters happens inside your head then nothing that happens outside of your head matters and there is a very specific version of this in paul's day that he is fighting against gnosticism did not die in paul's day it reappears in every single generation paul is fighting against a version of it that says um that either jesus didn't actually have a body um, he only appeared to have a body, or if he had one, it literally was a completely non-important thing about him, that Christ was Christ because of the um, belief and knowledge that he had, um, and it has nothing to do with him coming to earth to have a human experience. In this view, Jesus obtained enough knowledge that he was able to be kind of bodiless because essentially his brain was so big, he had enough knowledge, he didn't even need a body. And for a Gnostic, like that's the goal. Someone, someone with that much knowledge in, in their way of thinking, they really shouldn't even be bothered with a body. A body has to eat and sleep and rest and do all kinds of annoying things, right? And it's only gonna distract you from thinking about the really, really important things. So of course, Jesus didn't have a body. He had too many important things to think about. That's what a Gnostic would say. And Paul is having none of it. So when Paul says, hey, don't get distracted by the philosophy, Jesus had no body. This is what he's talking about. He's responding to the Gnostics of his day. So what does that have to do with our conversation about evangelicals? As you know, Evangelicals reject the idea that anyone can choose to accept ordinances done on their behalf after that person has died, primarily because they don't believe you get any more chances after you're dead. You only get your chances while you're alive um, to kind of get yourself in line with God. And if you don't do it correctly, you're, you're out of luck. There are no um, post-mortem chances. That's the biggest reason that they reject ordinances. And we've talked about that on this show before. However, um, they also get kind of confused about proxy ordinances because they cannot understand why a body, a, a living person who still exists inside of a body is required in the process. Um, it, to an evangelical, having a body isn't a gift. It isn't something that was a reward. It isn't something that was like a kindness that God gave to you for, for reasons. It just is the most boring thing about you. It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter. Um, they tend toward a kind of dualism that says belief is more important than behavior. And what you think in your head is more important than what you actually do, right? They want um, a profession of faith. And then if you go on to not act correctly and not do do good works, not act like you're a Christian, well, 
it doesn't doesn't quite matter to the same degree. It used to. It hasn't mattered for a really long time, though. Now, to be fair, most people don't study philosophy. Most people don't care about philosophy. Um, and that includes most evangelicals. And they probably, the average pew-sitting evangelical could probably not tell you what Gnosticism means. Maybe they remember it from school. It's not something they talk about in their churches, but you will see it is in the undertow of everything that is happening for them. You can see the impact that it has on their faith, the way that they don't value good works in the same way that a church like ours does. They don't even think baptism is all that important. It's a nice thing, um, but accepting baptism is not really required for entrance into heaven for them. They're also, evangelicals are happy um, they enjoy being less restrictive on clothing and language and substance use and and, and more because as long as you're believing the correct things, it's really okay if you're doing some of these other things with your with your body. It, it literally does not matter. Um, so even though most of them, evangelicals, would not know the word Gnostic, they live in a system greatly influenced by it. The, the theologically trained folks, their, their pastors, some of the people who are writing books for them, people who are teaching in divinity school, they certainly know that word. Um, in fact, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a valid burn. It's a, it's, it's a really, like a really good insult for one theologically educated evangelical to say to another one of like, you are so Gnostic right now. They know what it is. They know it's bad. They know how to recognize it. They know how to call it out kind of among each other. I've made that joke with a bajillion friends. I've had that joke made to me as well. <laughs> um, it, it, isn't, it isn't that they don't recognize that it's bad. It's that they have no ability. It's too heavy of a boulder to push up too heavy of a hill in essence. Um, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing the right things and as long as you're thinking the right things, you got a big pass on not doing the right things. Okay. Why should you care about any of this? Um, it is a fair question for those outside of our faith to ask why proxy work has to be how it is. It, even if they can set aside the idea of, of there's no more chances after death, which is hard for them to set aside, to be fair. If they can set that aside, they still are going to get stuck on exactly why is it required for a person who still has a physical body to get baptized, for example, on behalf of somebody who doesn't have a body. Couldn't God just accept their confession of faith after death, after death and, and just like call it good? Why involve people who are alive today just because they have bought like Latter-day Saint friends, I don't know if you can, if you can hear in my voice, I'm trying to communicate you how radically confusing this is to them. Like they literally have no idea why we're saying that this is important. It truly makes no sense to them. Um, they might bring up here, like a, the classic example is the thief on the cross. Jesus tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus doesn't say, you know, gosh, we're going to have to 
hook somebody up to do your your proxy work because you're about to be dead. Um, Jesus just says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, to be fair, Jesus was a little bit busy at that moment. So maybe he was not in the mood for a very long conversation. <laughs> However, that is still um, kind of where the evangelical brain is going to turn on this. So if you're having a conversation about proxy work with an evangelical, the concept of Gnosticism is 100% in the background, even if neither one of you know it. Part of why I'm trying to show all of this to you today. So, so what do we do? Well, a couple ideas. One interesting way to address this is to kind of wonder with them, why was it important that Jesus had a body through which he suffered greatly? Couldn't God just have decided to forgive the sins of anyone who would come to the correct theological cognitive beliefs about their sin and about Jesus and just call it good? Why did it, why was it important to, to Jesus that he had a body? Why was it important to Heavenly Father that Jesus, why is it important to Paul to remind the people that Jesus has a body? Um, they will probably tell you that God could have done that. God could have said like, hey, yeah, like we, Jesus doesn't need to die, but he didn't. Um, and they won't have much more of an answer to that it's a pretty surface level answer and that's really going to be all most of them have um why was it important to paul that jesus had a real body when jesus did his proxy work for us jesus dies in our place it, it was important that he did that with a body we don't tend to think about that as proxy work <laughs> But you and I are the beneficiaries of that, even though we did not ourselves go through that. Jesus, Jesus is the proxy for us in that. It was somehow important that Jesus had a body. The physical matters, matter matters. Um, it's important to Jesus. It was important to Paul. The other piece that comes up here, and I want to be really careful and kind with this, because I don't mean this as, oh, those terrible evangelicals. I just want you to understand what's going on in the undertow for them. There is a piece of Gnosticism, and especially the kind that is in the heart of modern-day evangelicalism, that says not only is knowledge the most important thing, but my version of knowledge is the most important. I have to figure it out for me. I probably cannot rely too, too heavily on you to teach it to me. And actually, if you're an authority or you're claiming to be an authority, you deserve a little extra suspicion. Um, I, it is my sacred and holy responsibility to figure out the truth for myself and by myself. That's very much in the undertow for evangelicals. For example, the key to salvation in the evangelical world is that each person makes a personal profession of faith in Christ. That's how they might say it. And, and, and that's good, right? We believe that too. No one can decide about Christ for you. You have to decide that for yourself. Um, people are, are baptized individually, right? We don't baptize giant groups of people one at a time. Um, but from there, the evangelical faces some 
some some difficult challenges, to be honest. If my personal salvation is based on my own thinking, then anything else it should be looked at with suspicion. And really, there's nobody else that can tell me otherwise, even if they claim that authority. If I don't like what my pastor teaches, I go find a pastor who teaches what I like. When I get mad at that one, or or if he becomes too old or not cool enough, or some other church has a better program for my kid, I will go find another church and another pastor to teach me until that one um, says something I disagree with. And then I just repeat the process all over. And there's millions of evangelicals that do that every year. What underlies that is nobody gets the final world, but final word, but me. I am the boss of me. Nobody else is. They are not being self-centered. They're not being egotistical. They're not saying, I'm the greatest thing in the world. Everybody should listen to me. They're saying, it is a theological expression for them that they feel this great responsibility of having to decide every single thing in their own head for themselves. There is no authority. There's pastors, but you can, you can leave your church and probably nobody even knows because there's 5,000 people who attend your church. There, the, the pastor of your church is only your authority to the degree at which you choose him to be so. There's no prophet. Um, the first time I heard the phrase, I'm, I'm almost positive this was in, I, I was taking the gospel principles class, class back when we had three-hour church, it was before I joined the church, um, and come across the phrase, the authority of God was taken from the earth. And I remember being so confused by that because I had been so indoctrinated into the idea that God really wanted us to figure everything out on our own. We were to become our own authority, our own prophet. That was our, like, that was our job. In the evangelical way of thinking, that's not seen um it's not seen as being like taking authority away from God. It's seen as the person trying to figure out for themselves what they actually believe, what God actually wants of them. At the heart of it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually really good. But it gets coupled with this weird view of it really, really only matters if I'm thinking the correct things. Nobody else can actually know what I'm thinking. Therefore, I have to make sure I am the one thinking the right things and not if somebody else says something I don't like, I fire them as my pastor, essentially. Um, my, I mean, my heart goes out here to evangelicals because shoot, today in our Western culture, you don't even, we don't even like the idea of saying that someone who has spent decades of their life studying something is an authority because anybody can go on Google for five minutes and piece together a loud opinion, right? We're highly suspicious of authorities in our culture. Y you probably know what that, if you're in the United States, if you're in, if you're in a Western country, you know what that feeling feels like. That is kind of what it feels like in some ways to be an evangelical of there, there is no authority. There's me and there's my opinions. God help us all. We're going to do our best. It's kind of what it is. Um, if, if you're thinking, ahead, 
if you're trying to think through the implications of this, you can already see how the same dilemma causes them to reject profits. And here's the thing, they do value profits. They just value the ones that you can read, the ones that are already dead, the ones that don't live today in a human body, living in the same culture and scenarios that, that they also are living in. They value the ones that lived so long ago, they could not possibly understand life today. Having a living prophet, I mean, another way to say that is having a, a human prophet who lives in a human body, it feels much more dangerous to them because reading dead prophets, they're disembodied from their body. They're sort of free from some of the influence course they weren't at the time when the time when they were writing they were writing while they were alive right they had bodies but it's sort of this they are unencumbered by the things that we are cumbered by and so they become more trustworthy uh, that's a lot of philosophy for today and i'm so sorry to dump all of that on you Philosophy really is just um the history of how and why people have thought what they have thought over time philosophy isn't bad or scary it's history Right? That's why I bring any of these things up to you. Um, but I will let you ask school early and not go on and on about philosophy, even though I would love to. I hope that this has helped you see how some of the differences are playing out between evangelicals and Latter-day Saints. Um, the, the idea that proxy work matters, they, they have a number of really, really big hurdles in front of them to understand why it matters so much to us, right? Like we just had conference last weekend and announced, I don't remember how many new temples, right? There's a lot of them. Evangelicals just scratch their head over that and be like, what are they doing? The, this is in the undertow of that. And if you're going to have conversations like this with people you love um, about proxy work, about why that's important, like you just need to know these things, at least in the background. Okay, I do not remember what we are doing next week, but in two weeks, we're talking about polygamy. Oh, it's going to be a blast. We'll have a great time. Um, it'll be super fun. Anyway, I'll see you then. Look forward to it. Bye.